Father, bless these words to our hearts in Jesus' name. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 22, the Word of God says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now, this is talking about directly the relationship between a husband and a wife, and often in marriage counseling and marriage seminars, people turn to this portion. But it's really more than that. This is not going to be a message about marriage. It's not going to be a message about our relationship to our spouses or anybody else for that matter. It's really about our relationship to God. We have to understand this one part of it, even as Christ is head of the church. Husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. The church is subject unto God in everything. The wife is supposed to be subject to the husband. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. So what we're saying, without any ambiguity here, is that when God instituted marriage, he also instituted the typology and the teaching in practical terms of our relationship to him. When he gives us definition on how to have relationships with our spouse, he is simultaneously giving us definition how to have relationship to him. And this is what we want to talk about for a few moments this evening. What it means that as Christ loved the church. Because this is how a man is supposed to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And here we see this defined for us. Now in a marriage, it starts with the wife submitting to her husband. Likewise with us. Our relationship to God starts with us submitting to God. That is necessarily so. Because if I'm not submitted to God, then there is no relationship to be had. The husband, as a man, is called to be an initiator to his wife. Also, the wife as a woman is called to be a responder to her husband. Now, this in both cases requires humility. I can say I'm an initiator or a woman can say I am a responder, but the humility has to be there in order to properly apply both initiation or responsiveness. In my relationship to God, 
I have to have humility. God already gives the initiation. Christ died for us. I have to have the humility to respond. God gives the initiation. He gives us his word. He gives us his promises. He gives us his love. He gives us grace. He gives us and keeps on giving to us. But I have to have the humility to apply according to that which he has given. Now, one of the problems that we see today, and this is both true in marriage and in the church at large, certainly there are exceptions in both institutions, is this idea of submission. In the world, submission is seen as inferiority. But it's not talking about inferiority. This is a large part of the woman's lib movement. We're not inferior to any man. But the Bible isn't saying that they're inferior to any man. In no way is it suggesting that. Submission there is a whole nother ballgame. It's not about who's superior or inferior. Who's not about who's stronger or weaker. It's not about who's smarter or not as smart. It's not about who's more able or less able. None of those things are even related to this passage. But the worldly thinking, and this can permeate into Christianity also, how many churches are there where everybody wants to be a leader? Oh, you're a leader. This one's a leader. All of a sudden, all this talk about being a leader. Jesus said, I came as one to serve. He didn't say, I came as one to lead. I came as one to serve. I came to serve. If you want to be a leader, be a servant. I love what that friend of mine said years ago. He was a very successful pastor on a mission field. He said, whenever a young man comes here, he wants to be part of my team. I'll tell him, you're going to be washing the toilets. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes the young man would have an issue with that. And he'd say, I didn't come to wash the toilets. I just finished Bible college. I want to preach. I want to teach. I want to be in the pulpit or teach in the Bible college. I want to evangelize. And he would say, you're going to be washing the toilets. Are you okay with that? And some would be and some wouldn't be. But the point was, he wasn't looking for more leaders. He was looking for servants. Because only a servant, only somebody who has the humility to serve, can be a leader. Honestly, I wouldn't give two cents for a pastor who wasn't willing to clean the toilets in his church. Because he's not willing to serve the congregation. It doesn't mean that all of his time is spent somewhere out there and none of his time with the family that's off balance. That does happen to some people sometimes. But that's not what it means to be a servant. It means to be willing, to be available. If there's a need, you're available to the need. Now, I know we're not called to the need, but it's not asking that we change. It's a need within the call. And we are available. There are some people who are wonderful servants without whom the church would never survive. And nobody even knows what they are doing. 
Yet in reality, they are the reason why the church even exists. And so, never get into this mindset that submission is referring to inferiority. It is not. That's a worldly, ungodly concept. God requires submission not because of inferiority, but because of order according to design. Both our design as human beings as well as the design of the plan of God. The fact that a wife would be submitted to her husband, and submitted there is the word hupatasso, and it actually does mean for a woman to actually submit herself, to subject herself. That fact that she would be submitted to her husband is in no way her being less than, because then he continues the idea, if you have an unbelieving man, then your submission will sanctify him and win him to Christ. So in that sense, in her submission, she can even be the covering and the initiator in certain respects. If she has an unbelieving husband, she can receive that portion from God and God will honor her submission and meet her in her need because she has submitted and honored God with her attitude toward her husband. Well, take that also to our relationship with Christ. God is not looking for our relationship to be a relationship of perfection. God is not looking for us to understand everything that God is doing in our lives. God is not looking for us to be great theologians all the time. He is looking for us to grow. But that's a process. God is not looking for us to be super Christians. He's looking for us to have the humility to submit. When the word of God goes forward, do I submit to it? Sometimes people say, yeah, I submit to it. And do you apply it? Well, it depends. If I think it's applicable, then I apply it. And if I don't think it's applicable, or if I find a better way to do it, then I'll do that. That's not submission, that's picking and choosing. That puts you above God. Submission is, God has said it and I trust Him. Because I trust Him, I mix faith with what I hear and it profits me. Because I mix faith with what I hear, it can become my frame of reference and my decisions are then based on my frame of reference which is established in the word of God, and now I have godly decisions. Therein is submission. Submission is not one of striving. I have to submit to this scripture right here. One of the most amusing and also annoying ones that people misinterpret is that we are to be submitted to the ordinances of men. You get on the highway and somebody's doing 50 miles an hour in the passing zone and they're saying, well, I have to submit to the ordinances of men almost like therein is my spirituality. I'm submitted to the ordinances of men. 
I'm not speeding. I'm doing 50 miles an hour on the highway. And to which you want to say, then get out of the passing zone. We get weird with this stuff. This is not a religious exercise. My spirituality is not based on the speed limit. In humility, I yield to the heart and the mind of God. That's all it is. And because it is the heart and the mind, the word of God, I apply it in my situation. I obey it. I don't disobey God thinking to myself, well, I know what you said, and then do something else. That wouldn't be submission. You see, here's the thing. In a marriage, if the wife is not submitted to the husband, then the husband cannot be her head. It's actually up to the wife whether the husband is the head. And if he is a godly man, not a perfect man, there was only one of those and he was never married. His name was Jesus. But if he was a godly man, albeit he may have imperfections, but he is a godly man with a heart after God who does the best he can, who's into the word of God, who as best as he is able loves his wife, yet she does not submit to him, then she has no head. That relationship is without a head. In the same manner, if I do not submit to God, to the word of God, then Christ is not my head. I can say he is my head because I understand that doctrine of Christ's headship or maybe I understand the doctrine of the body of Christ of which Christ is the head but unless I actually practice submission to the word of God in other words I actually obey what God says and I apply it I practice it in the details of my life the word of God says for example love one another and I'm not patient or kind then I'm not submitted to him I'm actually without a head. Well, if I do love, if I am patient or kind, and I'm not saying that this is not without moments of isolated failure, but as a lifestyle, if I am patient and kind, then I have a head. The head is Christ. It's up to me whether Christ will be my head. Just like it's up to the woman whether the husband will be her head. Then it says, as the church is subject to Christ, the church is always subject to Christ in everything. I can't say to God, this part I will go with and this part I will not. If a wife says to a husband, I will submit to you only so long as I agree with what you're saying. That, I think, is probably relatively common. But it's not headship. She doesn't go with him into the things that are contrary to God. If he asks her to sin, she doesn't yield to that because it's not a legitimate request. It's not a request or 
an initiation out of Christ being his head. Nowhere does it say she has to submit to his old sin nature. But as Christ is the head of the man. But if he is initiating in such fashion, then she submits in everything. She doesn't say, well, yes, I agree with this one. Or no, you know, I don't like that idea. And I'm not saying she doesn't have the right to talk to him about it. But after the decision is made, she submits to him. And if he is a good husband, he will incorporate her thoughts, so long as they are not of the flesh, but of the spirit, into the decision. Now, it's easy to see how that works in a marriage. Now, it works the same way in our relationship to God. If I say, I'm going to submit to you, Lord, 90%, but 10% I'm saving for myself because there are certain things I want that you don't seem to be giving me. And so I'm going to go out and do it myself or get it myself. But I'll still go to church and I'll still read my Bible and I'll still do whatever church activity, and I'll still be a Christian, but this part here, I have a desire outside of what you desire, and I'm going to go with it, because that's my desire. He's not the head. There is no 90-10%. There's no 50-50. With God, it's 100% he is my head or he's not my head at all. This holds true for everything. For example, one of the big unpopular ones in some churches is 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Paul said, I suffer not. In other words, I do not permit it as the apostle. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in quietness. God bless these precious women who have the heart for people that they should desire to pastor them. But they are entering into the office of a pastor without the call, the gift, or the anointing. Because God says he does not allow this. Suffer is epitrepo and it means to allow or entrust. I do not allow or entrust a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man. Usurp authority is the word authenteo and it means to act by one's own authority or power to govern or exercise dominion over. Now, the woman may say, well, I know these things. Maybe I've even been to Bible college or to seminary. I know these things. I have a gift for these things. I'm a great administrator or maybe I'm a gifted speaker and all that. That's fine. There is a definite place for that, but not in an authority position over men when it comes to the Word of God. Teaching specifically is referring to the Word of God. Why is he saying this? Because the woman is inferior? In no way is that why he is saying it. It's because of order according to design. 
Adam was not deceived. Eve was. God spells that out. Adam was not deceived. Eve was. Adam's design did not leave him vulnerable to that. Eve's did. It wasn't a fault in her design. The reason why he was able to get in there is because they disregarded his word. Her design was perfect. Adam's design was perfect. And together, their design was there to show them about their relationship in a practical, you could say, object lesson, for lack of a better word, regarding their relationship to God. It was perfect. It worked beautifully. She was completely fulfilled. He was completely fulfilled. They loved each other. They had a wonderful relationship within the design. But then something happened and she stood outside of the design. And that's where things went wrong. Likewise with us, if I go outside of the design of the plan or the call or of myself as a human being, and I have to make sure that I recognize it's God's design for me, not simply using this as an excuse for the flesh to reign. But I have to live within the design that is. God designed us in a certain way. Now today, that's a very unpopular thought. So much so that they say, well, it's impossible to say who is a man and who is a woman. That is such unbelievable foolishness. The nine-year-old in our church can tell me whether she is a girl or a boy and she has no problem recognizing she is a girl and she doesn't question it for a half a second. Yet these adults or teachers today are questioning, oh, well, you might not be a girl. And they're messing these precious children up to the point of some of them are killing themselves because it's so confusing and frustrating and hurtful to them. It's simply child abuse and nothing more by perverse individuals. Yet the design is beautiful. The design is perfect. It's excellent in its efficacy. An entire human race was developed because the design worked so well. We cannot and must not step outside of the designs that God has established. The most obvious, a man is a man, a woman is a woman, and this is all there is to it. Even biology without God tells us that. X and Y or X and X, and there is your gender, and that's all that's to it. You're not going to change your gender even if you change your structure. Because you can't change your genetics. And gender is a genetic issue. Our design is to be responsive to Christ. 
in Isaiah 62 in the B part of verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. You are the bride of Christ. And so submission is required from us toward God in the same manner as a wife submits to her husband. We can talk to God about it. Certainly he says pray. And if there is something you don't like, something you don't understand, something that is difficult for you, then by all means tell God all about it. But submit to him. Because without that submission, your relationship to God will not function. It will never develop. A wife who doesn't submit to her husband or a husband who does not love his wife the way that Christ loved the church, that marriage will never be what God had designed it to be, even if it lasts. But when there's humility present, it can be astounding. Likewise, when we are humble before God, our relationship to God can be astounding because we submit to Him. In Ephesians 1.6, He made us accepted in the Beloved by grace. When I submit, I do it by grace. In Romans 5.2, we have access into grace through faith. So when I submit and it's by grace, that is another way of saying I submit by faith because of grace. This is why love is necessary. In Galatians 5, 6b, love is the energy of faith. You could say love is the life force of faith. Hence, husbands love your wives. Why is this so necessary? Because she won't have the capacity for a faith submission to her husband if he doesn't love her. That love will give life to her ability to submit so long as she is humble. Now, if she is not humble, then he can love her all he likes with the love of God. It won't go anywhere because it won't be received. A hardness of heart will come in and it won't penetrate. Likewise, if I am not humble, despite the fact that God loves me enough to die for me, despite the fact that Christ came to save me, despite the fact that he has made me one in position with his love in Romans 5, 8. Yet if I'm not humble, the heart will be too hard to respond to him. And I won't submit. I won't have capacity without humility. But where there is humility, then love builds capacity. In Jeremiah 31.3 The Lord has appeared unto me of old saying Yes I have loved you with an everlasting love 
Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn you. Again I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. He loves us with everlasting love. This is reality. In humility, I can accept this and receive the fullness of its effect in my life and the life-giving nature of it to my faith. If I do not have humility, I will understand intellectually, but I always say to myself, I'm not sure. Does he love me? Look at X, Y, and Z. Look at these circumstances in my life. Look at the things that have happened to me. Look at how I feel. Does he love me? That's actually pride. He loves you with an everlasting love. The ability for the capacity is present. And then he says, with loving kindness I have drawn you. Now, Satan attacks the manifestation of God's love. He said in Genesis 3-4 to the woman, In dying you shall not die. When she told him, We will not eat of the tree of knowledge. And then she made up this part or touch it. And he responded to her, In dying you shall not die. This is the original language, the way it's put. He said, You shall not surely die. But what he's saying, In dying you shall not die. In other words, Okay, God said you will surely die, but you're not going to die today. The process may take place, but it's not today. It's not tomorrow. You're not going to instantly drop dead. And so she made a choice. Because he brought her to the thought that the consequence is not immediate. He didn't deny per se, literally, what God said. He just twisted it so much that it ended up as a denial. In other words, he didn't say, God didn't say that. He said, yeah, dying, okay, but you're not going to die. Not today, not tomorrow, probably not this week, probably not this year. And look at what you can have, Eve. What was he doing? He was attacking the manifestation of the love of God. God, through his love, created her. God wanted to protect her. God gave her the tree of life. God gave to them both. God gave her a husband. God gave her companions. God gave her absolutely everything because he loved her. And he manifested that love toward her. And Satan attacked the manifestations. God draws us with loving kindness, so Satan must attack the manifestation. This is why God said in John 13, 34 and 35, By this men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one toward another. This is why it is the great commandment. Because the manifestation of love opens capacity, builds it, draws it out. Husband, love your wife. Why? Because therein is the capacity for the relationship. It's a love relationship. And in the capacity that he gives to her, 
she learns to love him. So if he has humility, he will receive it from God, give it to his wife. If she has humility, she will receive it from her husband and reflect it back to him. If we have humility, we'll receive the love of God. And it will have an efficacious work in us. And so Satan says, don't love. You don't feel it. And instead, people manifest things like their temper or their frustration or their insecurity. Don't love, you don't feel it. And in attacking the manifestation of love, he also attacked submission. In attacking submission, he destroyed the headship that God had over her. Not just Adam, but God himself. And the relationship was gone. When that took place, the very first thing that happened was accusation. Well, Satan, the word does mean accuser. Satan is an accuser. And immediately when they turned to self-orientation, turning away from love, they became accusers. In verse 12, the man said, The woman who you gave me, God, you did it, you gave her to me, she gave me of the tree. And now instead of love, there is accusation. Criticism, negativity. Expression of the old sin nature justified by self-righteousness within the emotions. No love to be found. No headship to be found. No relationship to God or to each other to be found. Because Satan interrupted the manifestation of love. In verse 4 of Jeremiah 31, Again I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. O Virgin Israel. And this is a huge portion of our relationship to God. We had to be rebuilt because of the way God designed us coming to Him. God being love in 1 John 4 8, which must express in 1 Corinthians 13.4, as patience, which is a mental expression, followed by kindness, an overt expression, can only be given to someone with need. But perfection doesn't have need. He allowed all the things that happen in the garden for the purpose of somebody being formed that would need Patience and kindness. Yet, in order to need patience or kindness, we had to fall from that wonderful state of perfection. And hence the reason why Satan was allowed into the garden and the fall was permitted to take place. It was part of a plan. It was no accident. 
But then he has to rebuild us. Because we cannot remain as fallen human beings and still be the bride of Christ. We have to be rebuilt. And so, while we are yet sinners, Christ dies for us. He commends his love toward us. That word commend in Romans 5.8 is sunestesin, and it means that he took his love and us and brought them into a union where we became one. This is the same idea as the Ephesians 2.15 and 16, one new man. The reason why Satan attacked love is to attack the one new man. He can't attack Jesus directly, so he attacks Jesus' body. If a soldier is in a war, the enemy soldier is not shooting at his soul. He's shooting at his body. Satan cannot shoot at Jesus. He cannot shoot at the Holy Spirit, if you will, as a manner of speaking. But he can at the body of Christ, and that is us. The way that he does it is by attacking the manifestation of love so that that oneness of the one new man, that sunestesin with the love of God, that union between us and the love of God cannot take place. If I do not manifest, let's say somebody fails and is a pastor, if I approach them with criticism or negativity or accusation, and they do not have capacity, then I will actually be cooperating with Satan to hurt that person in their capacity for Christ, and very easily they can become a casualty as a result. That can also happen in marriages, where love is not expressed, but instead a temper is expressed or impatience or insecurity or frustration or whatever it is that people express to each other, if that is expressed, then that person is actually cooperating with Satan in an attempt to hurt that person, not only on a personal emotional level, but that person's capacity for God and a relationship with God. That's why Romans chapter 2, in the first 10 verses, not only does it define things for us as far as the way we treat each other, but also gives a very sobering warning to those who would not heed God's way of interaction with others. Well, why does that take place? Well, we see it right here. Because that person's life with God is being hurt and the other one is cooperating with Satan to hurt that person's life with God. It's a very dangerous place to put oneself. God takes it very personally because he desires that relationship. He died for it. When the tree of knowledge is involved in my relationship to Christ or my relationship to another person, then the love of God 
has been eliminated by the enemy. You cannot have both self-orientation and love. They are mutually exclusive by definition. Yet love, in Galatians 5.22, is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8.6, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enemy of God. For it is not subject, submitted, hupotasso, to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So that submission that we have comes through love, the fruit of the Spirit. Giving energy to our faith to respond to Him. In a similar manner that a wife has her capacity energized by the love of her husband to respond to him. If the husband is too proud to love her or she is too proud to submit, then it won't work. The relationship will not be manifested in its fullness even if it does continue. Likewise, if humility is not present in my relationship to God, He will not quit on me, but I will not have the experience of it. Hence, in Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Love one another is my new commandment, Jesus said in John 13, 34, as I have loved you. In Romans 10, 17, receive the word of God so that you will have faith. That love that you receive from one another, as well as from me, will give energy to your faith so you can experience what it means to be one with the love of God in Romans 5.8. In Matthew 19.6, So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. We are one with God. One flesh is really, again, an object lesson to our oneness with God. A husband and a wife become one flesh. In like manner, obviously not in like mechanism, but in like manner, the quality of it, we become one person as the new creation of Second Corinthians 5.17. That new creation is the one new man. It's accessed by faith through grace. Grace is the government in Hebrews 4.16 that initiates all of this. 
And when I submit, I submit in grace through faith. There is a government called grace. And faith is the response that I give to it. When I yield to that government, it's because humility and the word of God produce faith in me. And then I submit. I simply obey. And I get to experience the fullness of what it means to be one new man. To be the bride of Christ. To be accepted in the beloved. In Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall separate us? When that submission is present, because this is how Christ loved the church. When that submission is present, I can't be separated from the love of God. Because He made me to be one with it. He won't separate me and nothing else can because Christ can't be divided and therefore I cannot be divided from Him. Submit yourself. Wives, submit yourselves. Your husband loves you. Wives, submit yourself. Body of Christ, bride of Christ, submit yourself. To your beloved, to the groom, to Christ, your husband. Submit yourself. If you do, then he will express all of that to you in your oneness with him and the love that he has for you. And in verse 32 of Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That little bit that you're withholding from him, that's what's preventing you from receiving all things. Submit yourself to him with your whole heart. You will lack nothing and you will gain everything and you do it the way that a wife would submit to her husband as her husband loves her just like Christ loves you Amen If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, simply pray, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me so much that you died for me, so I can have eternal life with you. Amen.